grace and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My brothers, my sisters in Christ. True humility is not in thinking less of yourself, but in thinking of yourself less. This is a quote that is falsely attributed to C.S. Lewis, but let's pretend that he said it this morning. True humility is not in thinking less of yourself, not going, boo-hoo, I'm so terrible, I'm so awful. That's not humility. It's just in thinking of yourself less. And who of us would not agree that humility is a great, great virtue? That we want to be seen as humble people. We love to see humility in other people. We love it when we talk to and hang out with people who are always thinking of others, who are always serving others, who are truly humble because they're not trying to promote themselves. They're a joy to be around, aren't they? Humility really is great when you see it. The problem is, true humility won't get you very far in life, will it? Who are the people who are the most successful, who are getting ahead? It's the sharks, it's the extroverts, it's the people with lots of self-confidence who are able to promote themselves. You go into an interview, a job interview, and what's the advice? You got to sell yourself. Humility, thinking of others, serving others, spending time helping others without the expectation of recognition is beautiful but it doesn't seem like the kind of virtue that our culture rewards, is it? That certainly was the problem in the church culture at the congregation in Corinth to whom G Paul is writing this letter. Humility was in short supply, and therefore, so was love. In, the, in this day, in the day of the Corinthian church, something was happening that was a lot more common then than it is now, something called speaking in tongues. What would happen was when the Corinthians gathered for their worship services, at some point while they were singing hymns, while they were reading scripture, enjoying time together, the Holy Spirit would come on one of them and they would start speaking in this language that no one could understand unless there was an interpreter and it was flashy, and it was cool, and it was attention-getting. The Corinthians really liked it when someone was speaking in tongues, whether or not they understood what was going on. So the Corinthians started to think that if you're someone who can speak in tongues, you must be special, you must be powerful, you must be important. And if someone cannot speak in tongues, you must not be special, you must not be powerful, you must not be important. So they drew these dividing lines even in their own congregation. How could this happen? Christians gathering together ostensibly to celebrate Jesus' love, now causing divisions, now thinking less of each other. How did they get there? Yesterday, we at Trinity, we ha held what we were calling a strategizing session we gathered together and we, we had a good conversation about a lot of different things. But one of the things we talked about was we're starting to talk about what might be a fitting mission statement for Trinity Lutheran Church. Do you know what a mission statement is? Lots of companies have them. Lots of churches have them. A mission statement is a clarification of why you're here, why you exist. 
what is your mission? What is your purpose? And every organization might have a mission statement. You have a mission statement for yourself personally, whether you know it or not, whether you have it intentionalized, whether you think about it or you don't. According to our culture, we're kind of conditioned to be on a mission to be as entertained as possible, aren't we? And so the mission is to keep yourself distracted, to keep yourself entertained, to process everything through the lens of how does this make me feel? Does this give me pleasure? Do I like this? But maybe that's not you. Maybe you're not here to be entertained. Maybe you're here to work hard. Maybe your personal mission statement is, I want to be recognized for the work that I'm doing. I want to be seen as a hardworking person. Maybe you're done working. Maybe you've done that already. You've put in your time, you've made your sacrifices, and now your mission is to live comfortably, is to relax, is to be respected. Maybe that's your mission. The Corinthian mission statement, let's call it at this time, was to make worship as entertaining, as flashy as possible, and that's what led them to cause these divisions. And if you don't have a mission statement for yourself, your sinful nature is happy to oblige. Your sinful nature has plenty of ideas for rules to live your life by, for goals to have in your life. And the problem with having as your personal mission statement to be as entertained as possible, to be as, as respected as possible, to be as comfortable as possible, is where is the focus which, with every one of them? On me. How do I feel? How am I benefiting? How are people in my life affecting me? True humility is not in thinking less of yourself, but in thinking of yourself less. The sinful nature is not humble at all. The real problem with these mission statements from the sinful nature is that not only are they incredibly selfish, but they will cause you to be angry and cold and resentful, even to God. If your mission in life is to be as entertained and comfortable as possible, what's more uncomfortable than being told to love your neighbor as yourself? If your mission in life is to be respected, is to, be, uh, is to hang on to your pride, what is less prideful than serving your neighbor, than putting your neighbor above yourself? If your mission in life is to have a handle on absolutely everything, to understand everything, then what is more humiliating than coming up to a situation where you don't have the answers? You might even get angry at God when he asks you to believe something, to trust him, even in circumstances that you don't understand. You might be angry with your neighbor and God. And a little clue at what your mission statement might be is where is your heart when you read a chapter like this from 1 Corinthians? It exposes you, doesn't it? As you read 1 Corinthians 13, isn't our first reaction, my, mine certainly was, to think of how much better my life would be if the people in my life followed this advice, right? If names pop up in your mind, if faces, oh, he or she needs to hear this, that love is patient and love is kind. Oh, if only they were more kind and more patient with me. That is a good indicator that you've succumbed to one of your sinful nature's mission statements. And the Corinthian congregation 
is a good example of how far things can go if even Christians commit themselves to such selfish life goals. The Corinthians had forgotten where they came from. Let's not make the same mistake. Let's hear again from Paul our mission statement. He says, you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, he says. Where do you come from? You come from God. In our Old Testament lesson for today, God said to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. God knew what he was doing when he created you. God created us for a purpose, for a mission. And the original purpose and mission was to enjoy. To enjoy a perfect earth, to enjoy harmony with one another, to enjoy harmony with God himself. That was our mission. But we failed at that mission. Because we chose a selfish path instead. We chose sin. And in pursuing the the sinful nature, selfish ways, we drove ourselves further from God and further from each other. But God, as our creator, he would not have it. He loved you too much to let you continue on that selfish, sinful path. So he sent Jesus to be the atoning sacrifice for your sins. Jesus has forgiven all of your sins of selfishness. He has redeemed you from all of the sins that you have committed, and he has set you back into his body, into the body of Christ, Paul says. God has made you able to be the person you were designed to be because God designed you to be you. Not any two of you are the same, and that's on purpose, God says. Picture a congregation where everyone is super gifted at mowing the grass. The grass would look amazing, but nothing would happen in the church, right? Or if in the Corinthian congregation, everyone could speak in tongues, that might be really impressive and flashy and cool, but you wouldn't be able to hear yourself think. You wouldn't get anything out of the service. The fact that different people have different gifts was intentional because God designed you to be a blessing to others and others to be a blessing to you because it's his church. It's Christ's body. God has made you a part of it in his grace. True humility is not in thinking less of yourself, but in thinking of yourself less. We are not advocating that you go around saying, boo-hoo, I'm terrible, because God created you. You come from God. And think of the status that you have now. You are a redeemed child of God. You are part of the body of Christ. What higher position is there in life? God has brought you to it. But to brag about our gifts and our talents would make about as much sense as a car bragging about how well-engineered it is. Credit goes to the engineer. Or a pie, bragging about how delicious it is. Credit goes to the baker. Whatever good you are able to bring to the table is wonderful and a blessing, and the credit, the glory, all goes to God, because we are his church, 
This is Christ's body. God has a mission for us. He's given us our gifts. He's redeemed us from our sin. And he has set us on a course, a course of love. I will show you the most excellent way, Paul says. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. We could, if we wanted to, Go line by line, phrase by phrase, and look at each one of these things that love does. We could create an Excel spreadsheet and go down the line, have I loved today? Have I been patient today? Have I kept a record of wrongs? But realize that that is not Paul's intention when he writes these words for us. Paul is a painter. He's taking his brush, and with each phrase, he is, he is making a stroke on his canvas so that we can back up and look at this portrait of who we are supposed to be, what we are here to do. And when we do that, what do we see? It might come through in the English, but in the Greek, you got to realize that every one of these phrases is an action verb. Love does this, love does not do that. Clarifying what love is and what love isn't, but what love does and what love does not do. These are the actions of love. Love is action. You are not called to feel fancy feelings toward each other. Feelings can take their place on the sidelines. You are called to love in action. And nowhere in here does it say what we are supposed to look for in the people that we love, right? Where is the what's in it for me in this section? It's nowhere. Where is the, when am I going to get loved back in return? It's nowhere. Because remember, you have already been loved with an eternal love by God himself. What do you need to look for a human being to fill your love cup for? You have already been given everything by Jesus Christ himself. Don't rely on human beings to pay you back for honoring him. But love is to be the rule that governs our lives. Love is to be our mission statement. We are called to a mission of love. And when you fulfill that mission, when you be who you are supposed to be, Paul says you are participating in something that lasts forever. He says love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. 
Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Was that surprising to hear Paul say at all? We Lutherans, we are children of the Reformation. We remember the solas of the Reformation. Scripture alone, grace alone, and faith alone. We are saved by faith. How can Paul say that anything is greater than faith? Well, realize that Paul came before Martin Luther. But Paul is not disparaging faith at all. But think of it this way. A Christian is raised in the church, is connected to the word her entire life. She was baptized. She never misses a Sunday. She receives communion. She regularly confesses faith in her Lord and Savior. She knows she's not saved by anything she has done, but trusts in Jesus 100%. Then finally, she dies. What happens? The faith that she had her whole life becomes sight. The hope that she had her whole life, that one day she would see Jesus face to face with her own eyes, finally isn't a hope anymore. It's reality. Because she joins Jesus in heaven. The, whole, the thing that she was hanging on to her life on earth, now she grasps it fully. Faith and hope are the foundation that get us through life because of who they are in. Faith and hope in God. But one day, faith and hope won't be necessary because we will see God face to face. That's what Paul means when he says that we see now as in a mirror. In Paul's day, mirrors weren't that nice polished glass that we have now. Mirrors were metal, polished metal. And metal sometimes would have had a, a ding in it here and there, would be smushy here and there, so that when you look into it, you don't see exactly what's going on with your face. Paul also compares himself to a child. No offense to the kids with us this morning, but children do not understand everything. Is that fair to say? But when you grow up, you, le you learn to put childish ways behind you. Right now, we are in our childhood. Right now, we are looking into a mirror, and you know this. Right now, there are questions that you have about God, about life, about God's will, that no, none of us here have the answer to, the tough questions, right? And if our goal was to be comfortable, was to be entertained, was to just stay happy, these questions would really frustrate us. But because our goal in our life's mission is to live in the glory of God and to live out our identity. Having those questions will not sink us. But we trust God. We put our hope in God. That's our foundation for life. But when we love, when we act, when we be the people God has made us to be and called us to be, we're doing something that lasts forever. Because when you get to heaven and your faith and hope have been realized, what will remain is love. You will be in the presence of Jesus' love. You will be in God's loving presence for all eternity, and that will be glorious. So love now. Look ahead to that day in the future. True humility is not in thinking less of yourself, but in thinking of yourself less. Because God thought of you first. 
He created you. He redeemed you. And now he calls you to love. To love with a purpose. Not your purpose of getting yours or of somehow getting people to love you back. Love with God's purpose. Love to make a difference. Love to show other people what Christ's love is like. Love to give glory to God with your life. Amen.